Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Well, hello, Rufus. Hey, Tara. How are you today? I'm great. You're calling in from the Driftless area. I am. I'm currently looking out my office uh, down south of me, and it's kind of a little bit of drizzly rain and kind of nasty out there, but it's uh, a beautiful view. Yeah, I been to your farm. That is an understatement. It is gorgeous <laughs> up there. Yeah, and and I this, I'm so glad you could call in. We have the ability to do that because the weather with the, it's drizzling, but it's supposed to freeze right and through yeah. your hills, it, yeah. it's going to get this, awful. Uh, you know the good old Wisconsin winter weather slash uh, mm-hmm. sort of moving into spring mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, which ironically is worse probably for driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of is. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking we should start by having you just introduce yourself to the our um, listeners. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Rufus Baki, of course, and I um, I own Kiwi Farm, and uh, it's a 200 acre farm uh, located in Southwest Wisconsin. Uh, it's the farm I grew up on. My parents bought it in '76. Um, and I was born in 78, so I'm closing in on my 40th year of life here. Oh, my goodness. I know. Kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was a kid, this was a dairy farm. Uh, my parents had milk 60 cows. and My brother, sister, and I were very active in the, the dairy farm, whether we wanted to be or not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, uh, I never actually intended on farming as I got to that age of moving away. Um, But, you know, as I spent a little bit of time out in the world, um, I kind of just sort of fell in love with this farm again. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I was out in Colorado for about eight years ski bumming. And I kept coming back to the place. And I just kept on marveling more and more about the beauty of the area and the and the luck or fortunate life I had to be, you know, have grown up out here and and how lucky I was that the place was actually still in our family. Mm-hmm. And so as I was kind of forming my ideas of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do, I, I just kind of rediscovered food. Um, and when I was in Colorado, I, I, my last summer out there, I grew a little garden and, and that was it. I was kind of hooked. Uh, and, and I just sort of ended up seeing myself back here. And so I, I moved back and slowly procured the farm for my parents. And, and then of course things got kind of crazy. I did all kinds of other stuff, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Right. So before you go on, let me talk, just, it would be really useful to hear the story of, of, as you called it, procuring the farm from your, from your parents. Sure. Yeah, so so what I ended up doing was, um, you know, the farm was a, a dairy farm growing up, and I didn't have a ton of interest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, vegetables, organic specifically, uh, kind of struck my interest. And mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to where the farm was sort of had been sitting idle for a couple of, couple of years. So, you know, in the organic world, we have a couple, if we want to transition to organic, there's that wait time. Mm-hmm. Well, that time had already passed. And so that was kind of a natural fit for me. Mm-hmm. There was no infrastructure of dairy here anymore, so I didn't have to buy into that. So did your parents take the dairy barn down or what happened? No, the the, the barn itself was still there, but mm-hmm. and the equipment and all that stuff was still there, but it had been a couple of years um, since it had been functioning. And, and it was at a tie stall barn? It was a tie stall barn. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Although there had been renters here that had made modifications to it. So it was kind of this hodgepodge of different systems that mm-hmm. were that were set up, none of which were kind of completely set up. And, right. And and again I just, you know, having lived through the nineties and the you know, the, the, the dairy consolidation experience and, and the experience of my parents mm-hmm. and um I just really didn't have any interest in going down that road. Mm-hmm. And I I had the good fortune one day of coming back from Colorado and, 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 and noticing this farm that had just this array of different vegetables that were out in the field. I mean, it, from, a, from a distance, it just looked like this wild, crazy, cool-looking <laughs> field. And I, so I stopped in there just out of curiosity, and I happened to have my CDL. Mm. Uh, my commercial driver's right. license, and they happened to be looking for a driver. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of the serendipitous, like, okay, I can move back to the valley. I can, I have a job lined up. You know, I have all these different things that I can do. Because, you know, yes, we have a beautiful area around here, but you know, economically, we're pretty, we're pretty hard up, and finding gainful employment here is mm-hmm. a bit of a challenge. And and so, you know, I, I had that all lined up. And so then I spent the winter, my final winter in Colorado, I spent that time just doing a ton of research and, and practicing, you know, writing a business plan, mm-hmm. you know, just doing all these, these, the paperwork side of life to get myself ready to go uh, for when I moved back. And, and my parents through the, through the nineties, you know, that, that whole, um, the whole dairy industry sort of collapsing while their marriage collapsed and, you know, all the different things that happen to farm families don't go right. Mm -hmm. Um, so what ended up happening with my father owned part of the farm, my other, my mom owned part of the farm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I was able to do then was to to get all my paperwork in, in line and then I approached the Farm Service Agency, which is the government agency, to help beginning farmers purchase land. Mm-hmm. Um, my father sold me part of his land holding. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the initial, the, the, the start of it. I, I submitted my paperwork to the Farm Service Agency. Um, they went through their process, which was an extensive process, I think, I think it was about a year mm-hmm. worth of time before, because one of the issues too with the farm service agency was that I was kind of approaching them with this unusual, like, I want to be a vegetable farmer. Right. And in Wisconsin, we know corn, beans, and dairy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were, this was when, because so, you were early and, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, this was 2004. Right. So that was early in the world of... It, it was relatively early. I mean, I think the fortunate thing was that uh, the Viroqua office, uh, because of Organic Valley and the infrastructure we have in southwestern Wisconsin, they were a little bit used to seeing unusual mm-hmm. farm ideas coming to them. Um, they were certainly more receptive than I've heard other um, farm service agency departments being. Mm-hmm. That being said, we were still one of the first, like, veggie guys, right. all-time veggie guys that were coming. So there was a lot of um, data that I had to collect. And mm-hmm. together, there was a lot of back and forth between the the loan, the loan officer and myself. And, um, and in that process, the loan officer moved. So there was another, you know, mm, so there's all these right, different Right, right, of course. Um, and, and part of the Farm Service Agency, it's also kind of structured to make sure you really want to do it, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose everything is. But, but yeah, I mean, so it was a process. Mm-hmm. And the original loan was just to buy uh, 60 acres mm-hmm. and to get a little bit of infrastructure set up, a little greenhouse and some basic tractor equipment. Um, mm-hmm. So it was pretty small. I and mean, that was... That was originally my intention, too. I really felt like um, just having lived through the dairy thing again, that that one of the challenges of, of agriculture is that there's such a high, you know, capital requirement to get into it that I kind of felt like of any enterprise in the ag world, the, the vegetables were the simplest. You know, you need the least amount of infrastructure right. to start generating income. Mm-hmm. And so that was the fit I chose, and I really was trying originally to keep my loan super low and and just try to do this real slow um, growth through um, income kind of thing. That was the original growth goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so you you bought that. Did that include the house? So was that the that farmstead did not. It was too? Just a straight sixty acres. Okay. Yep. Yep. So did you rent the house from your parents then, or from your dad, or how did that work? <laughs> Lived in a yurt. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. It was the it was the true uh, vagabond organic. Uh, I actually. Um, there was kind of an old beat-up trailer on the farm. I lived in that for one winter. And, oh, goodness. And that was kind of a miserable experience. I bet bit. it was hard to keep that warm in the winter. Hard to keep that warm. So then what we ended up doing was we did a little basic remodel and into, on the front of the barn. And then the next winter, I lived in the barn. In the barn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like a true adventuring spirit. Yeah. Right. You know, I didn't made do with what I had. Mm-hmm. And of course, I didn't have any kids or wife or any of that sure. stuff. So, sure. you know, it was just me and I can pretty much live wherever. I did. Uh-huh. So did you own that barn or was that... that no, un- that was still owned by my still mother. Still un- Okay, got it. Got that it. Was, at that point. So then, at the, so then the second wave of loan restructure was that we ended up buying out my mother and the 80 mm-hmm. acres that she owned and all the buildings and all that stuff. Right. Okay. And that's when life started getting a little complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that, that 
that loan was again through the Farm Service Agency. That loan brought my brother and sister into the operation. Mm-hmm. That loan also um, brought us into the organic dairy farming world, hmm. which was more of my brother's passion. And but it was also again, going back to the Farm Service Agency, it was something they knew and it was a lot easier to convince them to loan us the money to do that. Right, ironically. Ironically, yes. Yeah. So then we were right, we were way in the hawk for that. Uh-huh. We bought all kinds of equipment. We bought 80 acres of land. We bought a herd of dairy cows. Mm-hmm. This was 2006, mm-hmm. six or seven. So, ironically, there we bought in at the peak of the of course market. Yeah, peak of uh, the value of right. organic dairy cows, yep. all the peak, and then of course the crash happened. Right, <laughs> which didn't necessarily affect the organic world, um, at least as much as it did the other world. Mm-hmm. But it was it did affect us eternally in the sense that we. You know, a lot of the stuff that we bought was a higher value than it probably should have been. Right, right. And was definitely, you know, when I when I sold the dairy cows, did all that a couple of years later, they weren't worth as much as we bought them. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so did your brother and sister just decide they didn't want to do this after all? Is that what happened? Yeah, my sister was the first to leave. She mm-hmm. was. She was, um, you know, she was definitely staunchly against the dairy idea. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in hindsight, of course, she was the one that was the most intelligent about it all. And all, <laughs> and and really, when we were kids, she was the one that was the most deeply involved in the dairy side mm-hmm. of the farm. Um, but her her kind of voice and objection sort of got ruled out. And I was the one doing the financial you know, paperwork, uh, making the numbers work and all that stuff. And to me, it looked like it would work. And I also felt like we were just kind of at this stage where we were really looking at, like, how do we, how do we justify making the improvements to the structures that we need to make uh, if we don't own it? And... Um, so that was sort of the rationale. My brother was working off farm and he really wanted to get back to the farm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was just a lot of, there was some synergy between his, his talents and mine that I thought we could manage. Mm Um, you know, it didn't work out though. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening was we, we got about a year into the dairy world and I just was—I just didn't see how, you know, my place was gonna how my how I fit into the operation anymore. And so I, I chose to leave the farm. I was actually the second person that left the farm. Hmm. And I, I moved to a neighboring farm. And ironically, the farm I had worked for at the very beginning, when I first moved back, they were in this location that you know got flooded quite a bit. And so they were going out of business, but their whole farm was available. And so I kind of just stepped, and I had been, I'd continued to work with them through my, you know, through the five years or so that I was up here. 
And um, so I ended up moving down to that farm. And my brother ended up farming, dairy farming up here for about another year. Um, that took us to 2009, I believe. And then it was just wasn't working for him up here. And so I had the opportunity to buy my sister and brother out and move back up to the farm, which I did. So did you start um, Kiwain Organics when you were off the farm and then bring it up? How did that work? Right, yeah, yeah. that was Kiwain Organics correlated with me moving off of the farm. I see, yeah, okay. And onto this other farm. Yeah. Because the, the other farm was going out of business. Mm-hmm. I had been working with them for five years, both as a delivery driver and then you know doing all this other stuff. So I was really, I was really involved with that other farm, and I... And as they were going out of business, I mean, I knew all their accounts. I knew right. the general volume of product they were moving. Um, I knew what product they were moving. Um, you know, I had all this information, and I and I had a good relationship with them. And, mm-hmm. um, and so what they had ended up doing, because they, they had gone through this flood again, they had all these accounts. They had started reaching out to the to neighboring farms sell their product so they could try to keep their account. Mm. And that's sort of how it really got started. The whole aggregation distribution business started because I knew I didn't have the infrastructure personally to, to like just step in and grow the product they had been growing. Right. And I, and I did, and I knew the history of that farm too, beyond even their existence. I had known it my whole life and you know, that was probably the 30th or 20th, whatever, how many times that farm That is flooded, flooded you know? right, right. I just knew, I'm like, I don't want to, I'm right. not going to play that game. Um, and so, and so I, I really just thought, hey, you know, I, I can just kind of step in and coordinate the product they were coordinating from these other farms. Mm-hmm. And it was right on the cusp, too, of where the, of the local food movement. I, mm-hmm. I I really felt, and I, and it was something that was just sort of this, you know, you get those intuitions sometimes in business. And, mm-hmm. and I just, when I was working there, I just had this feeling of like, you know, farming or, or food and agriculture, it's so word driven. It's like people grasp onto words. Mm-hmm. And I, and I could just see that the word local was going to be the next thing. Like that was the thing that, you know, you could just hear the buzz of it, and 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 I and I just could see this market kind of sort of exploding for local food, and you know that was sort of my justification for it, and and that so that was let's see that would have been so that, that was two thousand eight. Okay, two thousand and eight, and the economy is like in a kind of a downward spiral by the end of 2008, right? Yeah. Kind of went off a cliff. But, you know, that, I I don't know if that's what drove people to the local food idea. It's Uh almost like, you know, this economy, this world economy thing was, was collapsing. Right, right. And people were looking to their communities and say, hey, what do we got left here? Right, right, right. And, of course, food, I think people naturally, like, just kind of go to food first. And, um, yeah, so that, so the, so as the economy is falling apart, the the local food slash organic economy was, it never really uh, 
it never really fell apart. It actually just kept growing. Yeah, it was weird. I used to tell people when, because I, you know, I started up the plant in the beginning of 2009, and I, I always felt like I was in an alternate universe, you know? Right, right. I was like, I know. oh Isn't my so God, true? sales were growing, and it was, if anything, it was crazy. And around yeah. me, I mean, everybody we was, our, like, yeah. You know, we, we had these annual we have these annual meetings with our buyers up right. in the cities and and you know they would go they'd be going over their numbers and they'd be saying well we boy the store actually grew like 30 percent this year uh, or you know some of these right, stores were right. having the most rapid growth they'd ever had yeah isn't and that the, something yeah at the same time that everybody else is like Ugh, right contraction <laughs> yeah yeah it was crazy it, it was really crazy and 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 perfect timing for me. Right. You know, really, it was mm-hmm. just a, just this wonderful perfect timing. So, so in the winter of two thousand seven slash spring of eighteen or of eight mm-hmm. eight, um, I reached out to a handful of producers that this other farm had worked with mm-hmm. and just scheduled a, a little meet and greet. And a lot of them were Amish. We have a pretty strong Amish population around us. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we have Organic Valley is headquartered in us in our area. Um, and they there's just a, there's a lot of organic produce that's grown in this area. And so there was a, an infrastructure already there. Mm-hmm. Um, organic Valley was kind of the only player at that point. Um, so a lot of these farms were looking for different people to sell to. And so I had this first meeting and I kind of, I invited five other producers to it. Um, we had a great meeting. Uh, we scheduled another meeting for that February. At that meeting, there was like 20 producers that came. Mm. And, you know, at that point I'm thinking like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but Mm -hmm. let's rock and roll. And that's kind of what we did. Mm -hmm. 2007, we had, I think, 75,000 in sales. 2008, we jumped up into the mid hundred thousand. And then we just kept on just snowballing from there. Um, But, you know, at that point in, in in the early or late winter of, of 08, I had that second meeting. I said, okay, we definitely have the production. I'm pretty certain we have the sales. And we, we just kind of ran with it. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. So at somewhere in this, you went back to your farm. Yeah, I did. I, I spent a year, 2008, at that farm facility where I was at. And then... Um, 2009, I returned to my farm, mm-hmm. um, and and I in 2009 I bought out my brother and sister. So in 2009, and then also in 2009, somewhere in eight, uh, I was approached by um, Susan Noble and folks up at Vita. They had just purchased this hundred thousand warehouse that used to be old and right. So we cash register place and. Right. So Vita for the our listeners is the Veroca Economic Development Authority. Yeah. Yeah. And they and they had they had bought this this facility. They were seeing the same food scene. You know, Veroca was kinda of, was starting to develop this 
develop as sort of a little backup for for all the food world. Mm-hmm. And so they were they were really interested in creating this space for uh, you know, a community entrepreneurial place. And we were one of the first people that they approached. Um, not really sure how I got into got into that position. I'm not really sure how that all happened uh, organically. I don't know. You know, we just. Mm-hmm. And it was a great fit for me at the time because, you know, my I had been working out of this infrastructure that was at the farm, and I quickly I had quickly outgrown the cooler space. Um, I had quickly outgrown the space in general, and so there was this offer of like this rather gigantic space. I mean, I I can still remember walking into the warehouse with um, with Sue and just looking around and saying like, geez, I, I don't even, this is ridiculous. Like, I know I that know building supposed to fit into this, but yeah, yeah. That building is so huge. I mean, huge. I give and her at the point. It was just this yeah. gigantic empty thing. Warehouse. Right. Yeah. I, it took so much guts on her behalf to do what she did and buy that building. Oh, it totally did. And, yeah. I, and, and that, that spirit that she embodies, you know, it was contagious for me. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, all this stuff is just sort of like, I'm just like running with it. And, and, you know, it was an offering I couldn't really refuse. Mm-hmm. Felt like I shouldn't, I guess, in some mm-hmm. ways. And along with that, she had introduced me to um, a venture capitalist. Um, and he was interested in, in, in uh, investing in the business. And so there was all these different things and she was working on some pretty massive grants to build the infrastructure you know there were all these different things that I you know alone I just felt like I couldn't do it Mm -hmm. and um and I ran with it I just ran with it and uh you know so so the Viroqua things happening at the same time the farm um the family farm is happening at the same time I was able to buy the buy out my sibling that was again through the farm service agency mm-hmm. they restructured all that um, so for in 2009 I became a vegetable farmer a dairy farmer uh, an aggregator um, <laughs> oh my goodness what was I doing yeah I was doing everything it was just the most ridiculous when I look back on it, I mean, I, I can't, I don't even know how other than like the exuberance of youth that, you know, you just <laughs> have a ton of energy that you can. Right. Right. Did you, do you sleep? I mean, yeah. You know, honestly, I, there were days I did. I, mean, I there bet were there were days where I worked literally 24 hours. Oh my goodness. You know, in yeah. a day, and it was, it was total insanity. Um, it was totally exciting. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's like if you have that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bug, none of it makes sense and none of it matters either because you're just doing your thing. Yeah. You're just, you're going to do it. You're going to mm-hmm. find a way to make it work. Right. And that's where I was at. I just, I just, I knew I, I knew I didn't want a real job. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I, and I just loved I loved and still do love the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, again, I didn't have any business experience. I wasn't smart enough to know 
you know, when to say no or that you could even say no. Right. Isn't that interesting? Like you could, yeah. I mean, the way I kind of look at it nowadays is that the, and this happens probably to every entrepreneur, you know, the business ends up shaping you as opposed to you shaping the business, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you first start. Because for me, I, I'm not, I've, you know, I've never been like a natural salesperson or I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you consider natural. I've never, I don't feel like I've ever been any of those things. So, so I was always, you know, every time somebody bought my stuff and I'm still this way today, I'm still just like surprised and happy. I'm I'm a yes man, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, yeah, you want to buy my? I can't believe you want to buy my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's I don't I didn't know how or that I should say no. To right, right, right. So you when you peaked, um, so well, the first thing that happened, you got rid of the dairy cows, right? I mean, that was I got the rid- first thing I did. I got rid of the dairy cows in 2009. So right. I made it. I made it as a dairy vegetable. Uh, aggregator um, till mid July of 2009, mm-hmm. and about mid July, I, I mean, I, I can, I, I can remember this like yesterday. I'm out, I'm out in the pasture getting the cows, bring them up to milk them for that evening. I'm having to zigzag up and down the hill, up and down the hill because you're pushing your cows to the barn, right, and. The one that you just pushed walks about five feet, starts eating grass again while you're dying. I was like, it takes about an hour or whatever mm-hmm. to get the cows up to the barn. And, and I, you know, it was like, I'm on my 17th hour of work or whatever the heck I was doing. And and I just, I got done milking. I'm like, I, this is ridiculous. I don't mm-hmm. even really like cows that much. <laughs> I mean, I like them. I love seeing them. I love drinking milk, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't even, I'm not a dairy farmer. You know, there are people who are livestock people and there are people who are not, right? Yes. You, it's I'm very not, true. I, yeah. I've met the people that are, you know, yeah. I, yeah, I'm not you that know, person. Yeah. You know them when you meet them. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so I, I got done milking. I put the cows on Craigslist. Uh, I sold them in about a week and and that was it. Mm-hmm. I was done being a dairy farmer, and and you know that weekend, the, the weekend that I sold them, I went, I went out to a concert and camped out for the weekend, and like got up in the morning and had coffee, and just it was this, it was this magical experience of like the weight mm, of right. the dairy cows being lifted. Yeah. And beyond that, of course, you know, as you know, and maybe a lot of other entrepreneurs know. The more enterprises you get into, the less resources you have for the ones you want to do, and you're just totally spread thin. Right. And that's where I was. I was totally spread thin. Mm-hmm. And so it was this lifting of a ton of expense, um, a ton of time, a ton of resources that I just didn't have to apply to it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was doing all these things, and I was not doing any of them necessarily well right you know right so okay so you're you back out of the dairy thing yep. and now you're in the enterprise center yes and um when you hit your peak how, how many what were your sales when you hit your peak 
Yeah, so 2012 was my peak, mm-hmm. and uh, we did over 800000 in business um, selling produce. Right. Um, we were working with over 100 different producers, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily all at once, you know, because our, in the local season, things come on and disappear. And so, sure. But, but, but we looked at some of the, you know, some of the lists we had kept of producers we had need to contact. And, there, you know, my, my production coordinator was out talking to maybe 20 to 30 or more farms in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were coordinating all that production. You know, we spent a lot of time with, with, with each producer. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, had, and if those are Amish, it's, it's not an easy thing, right? No, that's like you you got to go to them. Right. You can't call, call them. them. Right, exactly. And the nature of the business, you, you want to be out there anyway. You right. Know, this this uh, produce game, it, it works, it, it moves so fast, mm-hmm. uh, especially the, the local Wisconsin scene. I mean, things can come in and go out in days. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just have to be out there. That's, mm-hmm. just, that's just the way it is. At least we felt like we did. Um, and were you farming? Were you raising vegetables at this point, too? Or? Yeah, I did have you my did. own production. Okay, too. yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I had, I was one of the hundred some producers. Okay, and you were you running trucks of your own? We were running trucks. Yeah, we had a route up to Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. We had a route to Madison in Milwaukee. We mm-hmm. had a route to Chicago. Uh, we were doing little routes in the southwest Wisconsin, mm-hmm. slightly into Iowa. I mean, we had trucks on the road every day. Right. Uh, we were running routes locally to pick up product Mm -hmm. um we would you know in a typical day we would put on three to five hundred miles just locally right of course you know you had routes that you were running so we we would be up in the twin cities twice a week Mm -hmm. we were down in chicago not chicago but milwaukee twice a week uh chicago was once a week um yeah, it was insane. We were we were running our own trucks. I mean, at one point I had two two straight trucks in a van. Mm-hmm. I had a couple drivers. I had ten plus employees uh, between the the two businesses. Right, right. They actually had about fourteen employees. Mm-hmm. And and so what happened? <laughs> I wasn't making any money. Yeah. <laughs> I so was losing money. you were losing money, and and the bigger you got, the more money you lost, right? The bigger I got, the more money I lost. Yeah. That 2012, I mm-hmm. I lost, I think, close to forty thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, after it was all said and done, right? It was somewhere around there, and you know, part of it is this double-edged sword of like having people present you with potential resources, and then you know, realizing that you're not scaled appropriately for those resources. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we just weren't. We had way more footprint in that building than we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally didn't have any understanding of how expensive it was going to be to be in that building. To operate um, you know, in the building. No, no knock on Vita because they did a lot to, to try to put us there. Um, but, I, but I wasn't scaled up for what I wanted to do. Well, yeah. Appropriately. Uh, so we if were, I, I'm remembering it correctly, the um, 
So that building had really high ceilings and you put in a lot of racking and then discovered you actually didn't really need all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that was okay. That there's a, there's a perfect example. Um, you know, we, in 2008, we were down at this other farm and we were maxing out the, the little coolers that they had. Right. Um, in 2009, I got into the new facility and I ended up having these gigantic coolers but ironically, we changed how we were procuring our product from the mm. farm, um, and we went to more of like an uh, uh, an order uh, by need basis. So we didn't actually need these coolers. No, yeah. So you uh, overbuilt basically, and the problem. Yeah, we way overbuilt. Yeah, and then the problem with that is you have to cool that whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and. And, you know, had I, well, had I known what I was doing, you know, maybe I would, I certainly wouldn't have gone to Viroqua because the, the, the change of how we procured product was really the solution. It wasn't, right. it wasn't that we need more space. We just needed to change how we procured product. And, mm-hmm. and so there, and that, that was actually a really, it was a great change because, you know, in the produce world, things don't last. You right. You move it fast. Right. right. And you don't want to sit on the product. Mm-hmm. And and right from the beginning, you know, when I started procuring product from farms, I would just say, hey, give me 10 cases of kale or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I would try to sell those 10 cases. Well, you know, I wasn't as successful as that. And it was, and it, it was hard to get a good gauge on what we needed. And we didn't have any historical data to say, hey, we moved 10 cases this week last year or whatever, you know. Right. We didn't have any of that data and so we so we would just sort of like randomly buying stuff. And when we um that was certainly the smart thing that I did to change. Right. And that's how I've operated ever since. Right. So um, I and en- I ended up starting to work with you about the time where you were you lost the forty grand, right? It was sort of like you were this this bigger business that was going to have to get really a lot bigger or it was going to have to contract. And uh, yeah, that was about the time we started. Working. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you made the decision to contract and I, I what, what made you think in that, in those terms? Because it, that is an incredibly difficult thing for entrepreneurial people to do. Yeah. Um, you know, well, a big part of it was just like kind of looking around and saying, "Boy, this isn't how I envisioned it." You know, I mean, one of the one of the things was the building was a great building, but here I was inside this dark, you know, old warehouse building, no windows, no connection to the outside world. I was leaving my beautiful farm every day to go up here. You know, I was. I was doing all these things that, you know, when I first started in 2004, were not even close to how I envisioned my life being. Right. You know, it was like a very personal, like, my life is not how I envisioned it. I wasn't seeing right. my children. I wasn't, you know, I was just, so there was there was that part of it. Mm-hmm. There was that very selfish part of it of, like, I just, this isn't how I want to live my life. Um, there was the scary part of it of, like, I owe these producers now. Right. You know, these, my neighbors, 
um, these people who trusted me to do business with them, I wasn't doing them right. Mm-hmm. And and that really that really weighed on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it did. And it still does. It's still like, uh, you know, yeah. I, nobody ever wants to go into business. I mean, okay, let me take that back. Very few people, I think, want to go into business to screw anybody over. Right. And, you know, that, that's just the, it's the, it's the worst feeling you can imagine. I know. You know, and it was, it was hard to swallow that, you yeah. know, because I, because underlying it all is just this enthusiasm to like get this great food out to the people and, mm-hmm. and, and, and bring some value back to farms and, and promote the regrowth of the family farm idea, all these different great you know, theoretical ideas were wrapped into the reality of like, Shh, I owe people a lot of money now. Right, right. And I don't know how I'm going to get it back to them. Yeah. So uh, it takes so much, um, it takes so much guts to go through the process that you went through to, to say, to take a look at, you know, you had this dream and it wasn't playing out the way you wanted it to. And there's this intensely personal side to this. So it's, I, I, you know, I don't even need to be in your shoes to know, um, you know, and maybe I can't imagine it because I haven't had to go through it to the degree that you have. But um, I have run businesses that have been losing money and it is miserable. Miserable. It's, miserable. It and really is, because it isn't just about you. It's about no. you know, your, your employees are Absolutely. wrapped into that. You know, all your suppliers. I mean, and your community. It, 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 it's a very big, it's a very big ecosystem, right? So when we started working, you made that decision and it turns out it, it, it looks like it really was a solution. Um, it was to bring the whole operation scale down back onto your farm. Yeah. It has been. Um, it's you know again. It's taken a long time. I, I, I would say last year was the first year where I finally. 2017, so mm-hmm. 2012 to 17, uh, where I finally feel like um, I'm finally back in it, and, and the enthusiasm that was there is back, and the, mm-hmm. and the confidence is back, you know, the things that you lose when things don't go right. Right. Um, you know, that I finally feel like that's that's all sort of back. Mm-hmm. And it was, 2017 was the first year that I finally grew again. As, as in a the business said, yeah. Shrinking. <laughs> yeah. Which was nice because 16 was about as small as I could get. Right. You know, or... You know, before I didn't exist anymore. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and we, in 16, we so we shrunk from 800,000 roughly to back to about 140,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this year, in 17, we grew back to 180,000. Mm-hmm. And we anticipate growing again this year to about uh, 220 is what we're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and... At, and your business now, so so you have going back to the farm wasn't just a um, 
you know, it wasn't just because you wanted to look out the window, right? I mean, it's a it's <laughs> no, a very that was kind of part of a big part. It, of it. it is a big benefit. <laughs> Trust me, I your your window is a you know, <laughs> yeah, unbelievable window to look out of. But but it it changes the business model economics a lot for you to be operating off of your farm this way. Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, again, that was the move. Ironically, was was sort of going back to where I started, from, mm-hmm. which was as low of expenses possibly can get, um, as efficient as you possibly can get. I mean, it is amazing how much volume you can move out of a small space. Mm-hmm. Um, getting closer to the product. I mean, even even in Viroqua, we were still like a lot of our product came from Hillsborough and the you know, it's about 30 miles from Baroque to Hillsborough. So mm-hmm. at where my farm is, you know, my, my producers now are five miles from me. Right. At, at the most. Mm-hmm. You know, so all my production is right here. Um, you know, focusing in on, on becoming efficient. I mean, obviously the most efficient production is the one where I walk right out my door and pick it. Right, um, right. You know, so I really tried to I really tried to just focus in on on improving that mm-hmm. and and developing and improving the relationships with the producers that are immediately around my farm. Mhm. And and then just shrinking and continuing to shrink my expenses. I'm still shrinking my expenses. Mm-hmm. As it relates to uh, my income, right, and and just uh, you know, you you can't say enough about efficiency, right? Um, I mean, it just there's so many different ways in which you can find efficiencies. So, what a, can you give us an example? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, for instance, um, you and I worked on a, a loan with Willie Street. Yep. Okay, they. They actually were the Willie Street Co-op was the one that financed my move back to the farm. Right. They provided me with fifty thousand worth of capital. I was able to restructure the front of my barn, mm-hmm. build the loading dock, you know, get set up, kind of like I was in Viroqua. Um, but the big difference, they so one small example was in my new facility at the farm. Um, my in the number of steps I take from my cooler to the loading dock is around a hundred some steps. <laughs> Which you've counted apparently. Yeah. In Vroqua from my dock to my cooler was about 800. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't think like, what, that's not a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal because each step you take is time you take. Your right. employees are taking, you accumulate, you know, you unload a, a truck that's 24 pallets. And you're taking it's 800 a lot. steps on yeah. pallet as opposed to 100. Mm-hmm. It, it, it adds up quickly. Um, again, being closer to our product, uh, you know, we were literally spending or driving um, five to six hundred miles a day just in the Viroqua area. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now I I put in maybe a hundred miles every couple of days mm-hmm. to, to do the same stuff, right? right. Um, those are two real 
world right. I can I can look at. Right, and then you started with the the Willie Street um, loan. Also covered some hoop houses, right? So you could do some season right. extension. Yeah, the other yeah. other side of that loan was to begin to develop the infrastructure for extended season production. Um, one of the weaknesses I also had with the business was that, you know, I had these huge peaks and mm-hmm. huge valleys worth mm-hmm. of sales. Um, you know, when we were really at our peak, uh, September, August, September, you know, we did $100,000 in a month worth of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the, each, of the, each one of those months, right? And right. then we would get to February and we would do like, Five thousand or ten thousand, you know what I mean? Right, right, an enormous swing. Enormous swing, right? But and of course, your expenses don't swing. Right. I mean, your product procurement does, you know, but Mm -hmm. but your overall like general expenses they don't change. Right. Love staffing, all that other stuff. Um, So the idea was, we need to we need to push production on both ends, and of course, a lot of farms and a lot of businesses are discovering this, right? And it it actually is. Um, it's a beautiful market too because there's such limited production. Uh, it, it just works really great. Right. Um, there are a handful of these crops that do really well, mm-hmm. uh, produce really well, handle the cold weather, actually flavor improves. Uh, you know, there's a lot of serendipity with trying to get there, and so and so Willie Street was helping us to extend the season. And of course, they were looking at their own. Um, situation and saying, hey, we we could use this product in these off seasons, and so how can we support that? Right, and Willie Street. So that that loan fund um, was was it's their vendor loan fund, and it was set up um, to help support vendors. Obviously, it's a vendor loan fund. But what what I think was interesting about the process with that is that you know going into it, everybody thinks, well, we're just going to kind of underwrite the same way anybody else would underwrite. And sure. yeah. and my thing was, okay, so if somebody can go to um, FSA or or you know those those loans are out there, right, for small producers. Right. So yep. you got to, if, if it's going to make an impact, which is what they wanted, it had to do stuff that was different, right, right. that was That's... sketchier from a traditional <laughs> lender. No offense. No, none, none <laughs> but but you right. were sketchy in 2012, right, because everybody yeah. knew and you were honest about the fact that you had to contract your business and – you know, that can feel like a free fall for lots of traditional lenders. So it was a real testament to them to that they were willing to step up. But you had been supplying them for a while. Yeah, um, we were, you know, at that point we had, I think I, my first sales to them were in 2004. Right. So you had been a, a supplier for a long time. And and I think also... Um, you know, you by then you're getting wise. Like, there's nothing like going through all of the perturbations that you have to, um, to to take somebody who is young and energetic and idealistic and make them wise, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh huh. Right. Yeah, right. and I knew. I and I got to say, I know you, that you're now wise because when you and I talked earlier this year um you the first thing you said to me is this is my year to work on my balance sheet and i thought (laughs) you know when he started this i bet he didn't even know what a balance sheet was (laughs) not really not Not really really. yeah i mean i 
kind of did, but yeah, not really. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And it's it's such a um, it's such a journey, right? Yeah, but yeah, um, but now you're making decisions in a really different way. It seems to me. Yeah, it feels that way to me too. Um, I mean, you know, one thing, of course, is that you just you have that experience behind you. Mm-hmm. You know, you you already know the done there, been there, done that, tried it kind of experience. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is there, and that's there for all entrepreneurs that do make it through this period. Mm-hmm. So if there's anybody that's out there that's in it right now, just you know, know that. I mean, and it's common. A lot of people talk about that who are still in the business. Like, you make it through that. That's a big hurdle. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and, and you learn so much about how, I mean, you learn so much about business. You also learn a lot about yourself, you yeah, know? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I mean, there was, you know, certainly there was, oh, 13, 14. In those years, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what else could I do in life? Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't it be fascinating to just have a job and get a paycheck? <laughs> you know, I mean, wouldn't it be fascinating? I love that. That's the word you use for that. Uh, in all those musings, though, I could never think. I could never find anything else that I just loved as much as what I loved doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just there's just nothing out there, and and I think that's what. Ultimately, a lot of entrepreneurs that stick with it end up going through. You know, they just they end up coming back and saying, "There's this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I love doing it. I just need to do it a little bit differently." Mm-hmm. And and I and and speaking to Willie Street, they were my lifeline. They were my savior. Um, they, you know, not only was it fifty thousand dollars worth of working capital, I had desperately needed. To, to make the switch, but it was structured in a way, as you said, um, the first three years were just interest only. So mm-hmm. I wasn't like strapped with this, uh, an additional payment that I had to make. I mean, I had to make some payments, but it was way, way less than if I went to a traditional bank. Mm-hmm. And, th- and those were the three years where I desperately needed it to be that different. Right. Um, and, and I and that's where you, you also have to look and say, you know, boy, what a what a fascinating, fabulous business to be in. Have relationships with vendors like that. Well, and and the fact that they are your customer. What what I find so interesting about that loan fund because I do the technical assistance for the producers, all of them, and who receive loans. So. Um, it, this has been, you know, right now agriculture because we we our our climate has been so the weather has been so unpredictable and you know it's always been hard to be a farmer. It's now even harder. Um, it, you know, the, to have Willie Street be saying, "Nope, you know, we're going to sell your stuff. Just get it here," you know, because they now are in a way vested in your success. It creates this extraordinary virtuous circle. It, it does, and it's really, I mean, it's a model that that should be out there. I mean, it's, you know, if you think about each business and the amount of capital you have to invest to get the infrastructure set up, mm-hmm. um, boy, it's, 
I, my heart goes out to those businesses that don't have that support because you're really just out there on your own. Right. And and here we are lucky enough to be in this situation where mm-hmm. we have we have our customer base is deeply vested in us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really interested in making sure we have we are successful. Mm-hmm. And that trickles down. I mean, that's the real trickle down. Right. Um, that's where we can say with deep confidence that, yes, we can build this infrastructure and we know that we're going to have these sales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having come off of 2017, you know, I, I was, again, I was still, I, I don't want to paint it too rosy of a picture because I'm still, I'm still in the thick of it. I, mean, I get I, it. You know, I'm, but 2017, I had my, my winter meeting with folks. So this would be last January, February. And I was really nervous, mm-hmm. you know, cause I had, I had contracted every year to the point where I was almost obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost didn't have any product to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a lot of producers that obviously didn't want to work with me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I had just enough. I had just enough in 2016 to go back in 17 and say, and actually 16, I, I don't want to, 16 was, maybe really the turning point because it all just like barely, barely worked in 16. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, it worked just barely enough where it was like, okay, I'll try it one more time. Right, <laughs> no, right, no, right. One more time. Mm-hmm. And I knew, you know, part of the contraction for sure with my business was that I just didn't have that much stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in 2012, my product list was several hundred Item, mm-hmm. four or five hundred items if it, in, in the total, and that was the goal of the aggregation business. I really felt like I really wanted to structure this business so that it looked like a Cisco or a Reinhardt mm-hmm. in the sense of having just a diversity of product. You know, I wanted people to look at my list and say, "Wow, we can get this locally." Right? Sure, let's do it. You know, not I've got five items. Eh, it's not that exciting. Right. I, I want to go to a customer and say, look, at 100 different items. We've never worked with you. You've mm-hmm. got relationships with all kinds of other people. That's wonderful. I don't want to replace those relationships. But are you getting okra from anybody? Because mm-hmm. we got okra. I don't know why. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even like it. No, mm-hmm. I actually do like it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's a yeah, weird item, it right? is. Like, yeah, I, really, I get it. That and, and that was like, that was the... Um, that was my birth as a business was weird items. Mm-hmm. Like I, I went to the different places and I looked at the store shelves and I said, what's not being grown locally. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started. And that's, right. that was my philosophy through the whole growth is I'm just gonna, I don't, I don't need to sell tomatoes. I would, I'll definitely have them and I'll sell them if I've got them or if you want them, but I want to have okra. I want to have fennel. I want to have Solaria. Mm-hmm. I want to have just the weirdest stuff, you know, so that you get the bite. You get the little mm-hmm. nibble and the bite, and then they say, oh, well, what else do you have? Right. And, you know, that's how we grew in in part. Um, and then when I shrunk, the, a big part of the shrinking was, like, not having those items again. Mm-hmm. And so then when I got to 16, 16 was, you know, I had the least amount of items that I'd ever sold. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sitting down with my 
customers in in the late winter of seventeen um, and i'm and I'm just not I'm not as confident I don't know where I stand with them you know I don't know where I stand personally you know i right um I know in my heart I just really need to get more product on my list mm-hmm. and my my whole goal when I met with folks was just to say, hey, I know that you guys have been with me. You've stuck with me through this whole thing. And I know in 17, I'm going to have more stuff than I had in 16. Mm-hmm. And I just hope you'll be there for me. Mm-hmm. And they were. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happened, too, was I, you know, I've been in communication. I still owe producers money. Right. You know, I still have people I owe money to. Right. But I've I've been in communication with them. I I, I still talk to them. Mm -hmm. And a nice handful of them have said to me, you know what? I want to I want to grow for you, and I know that if if I can help you, you're gonna you're gonna do what you have said you're gonna do. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had to. We had to restructure how we did that. You know, like I, in the past, I would try to pay a couple weeks after I got the product. Well, mm-hmm. now I'm paying right when I pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying those producers that will sell me stuff a little bit extra to take care of what I used to owe them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, all these little small steps to regain their confidence. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was enough to, regain their confidence in the sense of like I had a little bit more production on my farm. I had a little bit more stuff from everybody else. I had a, a list again that looked, started to look appealing to me at least. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, my sales went up. Right. Right. And, and, and now I've, of course, I've just gotten through, we just had meetings on Thursday of last week with some of my buyers mm-hmm. up in the Twin Cities. And it's, I have to tell you, it's just a whole different feeling. Right. Like that enthusiasm, like that, like mm-hmm. my r- right to be there or however you want to describe right. it. You know, right. Like th- these relationships that I have with these people that, you know, I mean, they're, they're my friends. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're beyond that. There's just that symbiosis of, you know, they enjoy working with me. And, sure. And I like working with them. So there's there's some folks have done research about entrepreneurship in the Amish and Mennonite communities. And I I feel like I need to to do some more research about it because I but I know enough to be dangerous. And the thing that I know um is that when they when people look at it, the rate of business failure is far lower than average. You know, because the the Amish and Mennonite communities are often, you know, on a very small scale, but they're they're often very entrepreneurial, right? Making furniture and the you know yeah, selling pies and all that stuff. They're yeah. very entrepreneurial, yeah. And and they talk about the, the researchers talked about how they attribute the the different success rate to the fact that the community basically rallies around people when they start something like they the community is just not going to let this thing fail and I, I 
yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's not just necessarily the their internal community. I mean, they 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 deeply understand the relationship they need to have with the English, as they call us. Right. Um, and they they're generally speaking, they're they're really kind people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and you've acted with such integrity that it shows to them, right? I've really tried to. I really have tried to. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, well, and that's, I actually just had a grower meeting with one of my growers, and that's one of the biggest things he said to me was that, you know, I I, I knew through the whole time that you were a good person and that you were really, you weren't trying to harm anybody, you know, and that's why I've stuck with Right. That's why I'm here today because right. that really means something to me. And I you know, and it and it goes the same way. I mean I, I was in this with this gentleman in particular, like I he's a great person. His mm-hmm. whole family is a great family to work with. They're just really kind people and mm-hmm. and if there's one thing that I just have really means a lot to me as a business person, it's working with people who are kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that just because you're in business, you have to be ruthless and cutthroat and evil and whatever, you know, yeah. whatever, you, yeah. whatever sort of persona that sometimes gets attached to business. I mean, it really is a human relationship thing. And, and ideally if we all do the right business, we can grow the community together. And I and 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 I you know I was just kind of reflecting on that one day when I was driving away from his driveway because he's just like a super sweet person, and his kids are sweet, and his, you know the whole family is mm-hmm. sweet, and it's sweet to watch them work together mm-hmm. and to be a part of it. Yeah, you know, and that. And that's what we're really trying to promote, too. Right. Well, and I think what is super exciting for me is because I do the work that I do, um, I can say this, that I I know that you had a profitable year, and so you are on a path. Yeah. (laughs) And so you're on a path, right? The path has has gone way up and way down, and now you're on your way back. I am, yes. Yeah, I am. and I've had some great meetings with my customers this year. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I know they're going to buy more stuff. Yeah, they want to buy more stuff. They've told me that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know that easily with, um, with a good handful of them that we will double our sales. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to add another delivery cycle to Twin Cities again. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, yeah, we just have this momentum growing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have we have some new customers down in Madison um, mm-hmm. that, that um, have been super enthusiastic about working with us. And, mm-hmm. um, the institutional buying scene has changed a little bit. I know. Um, it's creeping up there, man. It's creeping up. I mean, I think what's happening, you know, like the institutional market's been really interesting. Farm to school, all this other stuff. Yeah. It's been really interesting because I think in the very beginning, and we kind of got in on the ground floor of it in the very beginning it was a lot of window dressing absolutely it was was not realistic you know we're buying local and you look at these institutions and they got a food budget of however many million and 
they're going to, they're buying like buying, a case of something. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Just right. so they say they can do it. And I think what's happening now though, is that kind of the old guard is starting to retire mm-hmm. and these new buyers are coming in and they really believe it. Right. They believe in buying the local produce. And I think also like if you look at hospitals or something like that, they're looking at their internal food safety protocol, not food safety, but food, like how are we going to procure food if something happens? Kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. And all of this stuff is leading them to say it actually makes business sense to really go out there and not just buy a case, but buy 10 cases or, you know, put a real percentage of their budget towards the mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and it helps that people like you are there to, I think so. Yeah, I mean, we because you supply at a larger scale, right? And right. It's, that's right. Yeah. That's where the the aggregation mm-hmm. still makes a ton of sense. Right. It really is a, is a model that does make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and also, it, in the sense of like the unpredictability of of the of the weather and and what what not nowadays. It also makes sense on the production side to have multiple locations where mm-hmm. you make products from. Right. Um, it, it it is a business. And I would speak with fairly decent confidence that it does. It is something that works and should be out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when you know, I work with um, other hubs um, that are organized in all kinds of different ways, and and I think one of the things that is making your hub work at your scale is the fact that it's on your farm because for sure absolutely yeah because you're you're leveraging all the infrastructure and then you know your farm enterprise also includes some direct sales and things that are contributing as well and if you were just purely wholesale you would have to be back in that grind where you have to be so much bigger again yeah absolutely. yeah so yeah i you know i just listened to uh, a podcast the other day about you know what what it takes to work as a as a aggregator and you know they're talking two to three million mm-hmm. and i would i would say yeah that's probably pretty correct yeah um in, in the in my old form but you know that's where i feel like i'm ironically kind of back to where i started in the very beginning of saying well you know there's a lot of things you don't actually need mm-hmm. um there's and don't actually need, and there are other people doing that large-scale aggregation these days. So, right. right. So understanding where you fit into the universe of that is an important component for you now, too. That and the fact that you're more vertically integrated on your farm. Yes, yes. And, and you know, that that vertical integration was something I always was. That was sort of key to it all to, in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, I, and as I... As I grow and expand again, I still feel like if I become a multi-location place, which maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I'm not going to worry about it. It doesn't have to happen. But if it did, in my mind, it would still be based on the idea of your immediate production right around you and then just slowly growing that, that 
circle. Mm-hmm. Well, know? and you have you have acreage on your farm, right? Because you're I now do, yeah. up to what two hundred acres you yeah, own. own? Yeah, yeah, that is just stunning, right? So yeah, there's lots that I I bet there's a lot in the future for Kuwaitin. I I I hope you're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, I hope you're right, and I I, I do. I think you know. I, I mean, I feel like I'm just. I'm just starting, really. Yeah, isn't that ironic after you've know, been at I, this, right? I mean, if you if you really sometimes get down on yourself and you think, God, I could have been so far ahead, but you know what? That I'm not. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm where I am, and that's okay. And what I do have is a ton of knowledge now. Yeah. And I and I have a ton of knowledge and a ton of confidence. Yeah. And you know, I I guess I think the only other thing you know that I really um, you know, I guess the cautionary tale in some ways is, is you know, as you start off as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, there's, I mean, they call it like the gut feeling, right? Whatever right. You have, like, there's value to that. And you, you, you need to listen to that. I mean, you know, I took on a venture capitalist. I took on a bunch of different stuff. And I did it because people told me I should. And it wasn't the best move for me. Mm-hmm. And, and as I was doing it, I knew it wasn't the best move. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I was going to ask that. Because I, yeah, I, I think I just, you're right that entrepreneurs were surrounded by people who don't live in your business, who think they know a lot about business or whatever, and they tell you what you should be doing, the big should thing, without really diving in and help really understanding what is going on before they say you should, right? And then you're sitting there going, huh, these are smart people. They know what they're doing. They're saying I should do it, but I don't really think it's a good idea. That's right. That's right. Your your voice as an entrepreneur has value. Yeah, isn't that something? Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it was like, again, I I go back to the, you know, I, I'm just super happy when anybody buys my stuff. Well, right. the same thing where, you know, this venture capitalist comes to me and says, hey, I'll give you $30,000. And I'm like, geez, this guy is going to just give me $30,000. Well, here's the truth, everybody. Nobody ever gives you money. Right, exactly. Nobody gives you money. Yeah, right. It, yeah, it's never a gift. And it's the other, never a gift. Yeah, the other thing I I, <laughs> I think is important, I, I was visiting with somebody um, uh, last week um, who has a manufacturing business in a rural community that sells all over the world, and it's really unique business, not in food. And, and an older entrepreneur, and he said, you know, anybody who thinks business is easy needs to, like, come and talk to me. I've had two near-death experiences with my business and two with my health. And that is really what the world of being an entrepreneur is like. Right. You're kind of just out there on this lifeline. And, and whenever, whenever somebody throws you that, like, hey, I'm here to save you, um, you know, there's a string attached. To that. I I'm not get saying, it, right? I'm not saying don't grasp that lifeline because because sometimes it's a really great relationship, right? Um, well, and like Willie Street turned out to be a really great relationship, right? That was a absolutely. lifeline, but and and it was a really good relationship, and 
and yeah. maybe going and getting an investor is not. But I guess, I guess what I've loved about your story is to hear all of the trials and tribulations you've been through, in, both in terms of getting ownership of your family farm over the years, and then also the distribution company and the whole the whole arc of the story, right? There's been a couple of near-death experiences in here for you as a business mm-hmm. person. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, it's like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, and a lot of it is just the hard, boring, dig-down-deep stuff of rolling up your sleeves and figuring out how to make it work. That's right, yeah. And then, you know, you find yourself um, in these times where it's like you look around and you're the only one there all of a sudden. Right, right. Oh. Or, or you go like I went a year after I was gone from the Roca building. I was taking produce up to my old spot, and and one of the you know the employees that came out to meet me was like, "Hey, you want to get a tour of the place?" You know, it's like, like, wow! I nobody even remembers that I was here. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's those there's those sort of like those dark and humbling moments where you're like, does it even matter? I don't know. You know, and and. But ultimately, you know, if it matters to you, it does matter. And 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 I don't know that, you know, as as dark and tough as it can go, it's also just a ton of fun. I mean, I don't know. It's just like it's so. Like I've ne- I mean, the truth be told, I've never actually had a real job. I don't know if I would be any good at a real job. Huh. You know. Well, you are clearly an entrepreneur, Rufus. There's <laughs> just am. no I question. I'm like, I can't even imagine what it would be like to just have a routine of a day. You know, it's like, I, I have to exist in this world of, <laughs> like, not routine and fire, and yet there's routine and structure in it. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like all that. Uh, people are coming to you all the time. Things have to be solved. You know, things things work out. Things don't work out. You know, there's all these it's a, it's an adventure. It's adventurous. And, and there's something in, you know, if you have that in your blood, it's in your blood. Right. Nobody you know, else I, would have gone. You know, you know I mean, I do. I have, that, yeah, I have, you know, we all have our own version of your story, right? And yeah. those of us who are, have been entrepreneurial for a long time. So, well, and you also know, like you sit down with people that everybody has a, a business idea. Everybody wants to work for themselves. Uh, right. How many people actually go through with it? Not very many. And then not many people make it to the, make it through all the ups and downs like you have. And I think your story is also inspiring for people, not just for food entrepreneurs, but also for people who, who look at their family farm and would really like to come back. You know, it's, it's not a lot of those out there. There are. I I would definitely say if, if there's anybody out there that is, you know, has a family farm, is thinking about it, just do it. <laughs> the worst that can happen is it doesn't work. And right. Then, you know, you'll figure something else out. Right. Um, but but I have a ton of friends around here. You know, this, there used, in my little township, there used to be 17 dairy farms. Mm-hmm. There's one now. You know, I grew up with these kids, you know, not kids. Right. Farm, yep. But, yep. You, know, you know how many of them say, I just wish I had my farm. Yeah. You know? Right, almost almost everyone, mm. almost everyone, and so, you know, if you, the worst that can happen is it doesn't work, and then you're just back where you would be if you if you didn't try it. Right, 
and, and the farm will be sold, but it was going to be sold anyway. You know, I think. Be sold anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I and I, I also know from having worked with you, um, and and just listening to your story about um, FSA and and farm credit and other lenders and stuff who've been involved are are in rural communities. If you've got a plan and you do the work for the to get a plan. There are programs and people who will step up and help. Now, yeah, there, there really is. Yeah. And and you have to understand, too, like, they're not going to just give you the money. Right. It's not like you go in ever with any of this, right? You know, you said the oh. first time it took you about a year, and it would still, year. it'll still be a year, right? But, it, but, yeah. you, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. No, and, and that's, and there's a reason why it takes a year. Right. You know, there, there's a reason why. They really want you to make sure you really want to do this. Right. And all those, all that number crunching, all the, the hypothetical budgets, all that stuff has huge value. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those numbers that tell a story. There's a story all wrapped in all of that stuff. See, this is how, this is like you telling me this is the year I'm working on my balance sheet. Now you're saying those numbers have a reason. It's, it's an incredible transformation of you as a business owner. Sure. Yeah. Well, like we could even say, okay, so last year mm-hmm. I, I had a pretty decent little year. Um, you know, I, my sister uh, is great with numbers. She's just like, she's a Capricorn. She's just like. She's a Capricorn. I love it. <laughs> she's a grounded, straight, uh-huh. you know, like she's just like, she loves that story of numbers, right? And so I'm, I I go to her often and we just talk about the farm because she still loves the farm. Mm-hmm. She's vested, you know, as far as, as far as it goes, Right. Right. And we talk about it, and I'm talking to her about, like, oh, this is working, but this isn't. And, you know, so one of the suggestions she had, because I'm saying, like, I still have these loans out here. If I could just get a little bit more working capital every month, if I could just restructure these loans, one of the loans being the Willie Street loan, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the the loans with my bank, you know. Um, And she just is like, and I'm sort of like, I don't know, I what do, what do I do? She's like, just just go and talk to them and get it restructured. And look at this. If you get it restructured, there's $1,000 a month there. Uh, you know, that's $12,000 right. a year that you could use. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that was the impetus for me to... Uh, to reach out about the restructuring. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and everybody was like, damn, we've watched you go through what you've gone through. And especially since you, you know, came through and in the black there, we're like, all right, why wouldn't we do this? And you, and, and you, you know, you talk to you, even your traditional lenders and you say, Hey, look, I'm still here. I really want to make this work. You can see that I've gone through this and now I'm on and you're making path. progress yeah let's restructure this give me a little bit more room mm-hmm. and and so like if you're out there and you're an entrepreneur and you're going through this phase you just got to keep talking to everybody you got to keep looking at those numbers you got to keep saying okay now this year my expenses went down now where can I find those that that savings again in my expenses right this year I've I've gone back to my insurance company and and restructured. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to. Uh, I've, I'm relooking at my delivery system. Like, how can I, how can I save more money there? Because now I'm, I'm looking and saying, well, my van's getting old. The, the delivery truck I have is getting old. 
do I do that or do I do this? This is more predictable. Mm-hmm. I think I should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's all these different little savings that you'll find every time you look at those numbers. Mm-hmm. And 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 so that's almost your biggest duty, right? Is you got to keep looking at those numbers and figuring out where to find the saving, mm-hmm. where to keep on getting more efficient. Um, and, and I think the other thing I really would, I, I've really settled in on like that. I really just, I understand and know this deeply. And that is that you, as you form your business, you surround yourself with people that have your interests in line with theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, that's where like our relationship, you know, you as an advisor to me. I've always felt like you have taken the time to look and understand my business and give me solid advice. Mm-hmm. And, and my sister, same way. Um, you know, the partner I have right now, uh, you know, it, it's like a whole different world. I mean, you, you know, as a, if you don't know it at first and, and that's okay, you don't, you don't, when you first start out, it'll be harder to identify these people. It really will because you don't have anything to gauge it off of. But as you move along in your business, when you find those people that you can really work with, you will be amazed at how much that grows your business. You know, because now you're not trying to convince somebody else that your idea is right. They know your idea is right. You know they know, and their idea is right too. Mm-hmm. And you're both working on the same path, right. the same goal. You don't have to convince them because they know it's right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, they're... I'm like right in that phase now where I just I'm. I mean, I had when I when I had employees, I had a, a decent team around me. I really did. I had good mm-hmm. people around. Me. I could have had better in some cases. Mm-hmm. You know my. My family members, my my brother and I, we didn't work so good together. Right. You know, and and there and that can be a challenge because you know we had we had different talents, but they just didn't mesh up. And that's mm-hmm. where I say, like in the beginning, it might be harder to see that. But as you as you progress, and you find those people that you do work really well with, that's that is almost the biggest asset you can ever imagine. I mean, people are so dynamic. Uh, we can really wreck stuff fast. Uh, we can yeah. really build stuff <laughs> you fast. Can, yeah, too. yeah, build it. And, yeah, and, and you know, you've also learned the value of being deliberate in things, right? Yes, yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. If, if you're in that situation and things aren't working, just say it. Mm-hmm. Get, get, I know it's scary. I know, I mean, personally, I hate disappointing people. I, I really just like that. I mean, I think we all do. Mm-hmm. Except for the most hardened of us, I think. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, that's kind of almost the worst when it doesn't work with somebody. But it's worse to not address it. Mm-hmm. Really got to face that straight on because you're talking about your existence. Right. Uh, and it, it, that's... That's really hard to identify when you first start, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think about that, but I think it is. It's hard because you're just, there's so much coming at you. 
Right. And it's hard to discern because you don't know enough. You don't know what you don't know. And that, that right. extends to people too, right? And, and really does, having yeah. a filter for who's going to who's gonna add the most value and who doesn't and all yeah. of that. But, but I've definitely, I've seen it enough now where, you know, even in other operations, you see how how much of a detriment it is if you can't find a good partnership with people. Right. You know, yeah, your, your working right, relationship you, with people. You um, can't do you know, this on your if, own. If you have a venture capitalist that comes to you, you don't have to accept their money. Mm-hmm. You don't have to not accept it either. I mean, if that if that's a good fit, then go gangbusters. Mm-hmm. If it's not, walk away. Right. Walk away. Because right. You're going to spend that money that they bring is going to go really fast, and then you're going to spend more money. Right. Trying to get away from it. Right. <laughs> well, and and it just wasn't, it's not aligned with what you want to do. So, you know, when I work with people, I try to get them kind of, you know, clear about if you're on this path, you need this kind of money and this kind of money comes with this kind of strings attached to it. Right. Yep. But that's not the only path. And I think people don't realize that they're making choices about paths when they, you know, you get into this and you're starting your distribution business and you didn't realize, right, that there was this model that was a really different path of staying on your farm and staying yep. fairly small. And then there was this go big and, you know, go big or go home one that was yeah, going right. to take a lot of capital and all that. And and so helping right. people get more intentional about those choices early helps with this a lot. Yeah. And I do think in our society, I mean, we kind of do push this go big or go home right. kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And and it's got to be fast and you got to grow really mm-hmm. fast. And, you know, there's a couple of these concepts, you know, like when you, when you, when you do get a venture capital, and not all of them, of course, there's the angel capital. There's all kinds of different ways. But, you know, this is the hockey stick thing. They yeah, want they want that. And, um, you know, you have to look at your own situation. Are you in it for 40 years or do you want that fast growth? Mm-hmm. If you do, man, great. Set it up and sell it, you know? Right. Uh, if you want it to be your life, yeah, rethink that. Yeah, and maybe you don't want to do it that way. And right. and don't think you're going to have this little wholesale food business Um you know, that's the other local food thing right now, right? I'm going to sell my pickles locally and they're, and that's going to, you know, feed my family. Right, right, right. Uh, and it's, it's not, you know, it's not realistic, right? So, um, so you got to have a pickle restaurant or something to, to broaden that business model. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I do tell people a lot too, you know, when you're first getting into the business, it, it's not a bad idea to look at these aggregations. Hub. Mm-hmm. Look at look at what they have available to you. They have a truck. They have a sales team. They have they have all these different resources that if you're on your own, you know you're coming up with all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to do all that, or do you want to grow produce? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to leave the farm every day, or do you want to be at the farm every day? Um, maybe you do, and if you do, go. But but boy. You know, it's already hard enough to make a living in this business. How can you do it without having to take on all the responsibilities that that business entitles? And now there's this infrastructure out there that there's, there's you know, now that I when I go out into the Hillsborough area, there's like seven or eight people out there selling stuff. Mm-hmm. 
you know, where it was it was just myself and Organic Valley, or, you know, maybe one other guy, you know. Now there's, like, there's seven or eight of them. So there's a lot of options out there. Uh, the, the the market has developed. Um, you know, I, I had the great fortune of going out to San Francisco for one of the annual low money events. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of mind blowing. Hmm. Um, and I remember being out there and sitting in on some of these discussions. And you know, of course, you had all kinds of people there. Um, and I remember the the venture capital. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't want to keep ragging on venture capital because they they're, they serve a purpose. They are out there. It's, there are great people out there that do it. But I remember the one guy saying, you know, you just take the money. Take the money no matter what. Mm-hmm. And 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 it was one of those times where in my heart I was like, geez, I just took the money. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It feels so good. Right. It wasn't the right kind of money. Yeah. You know, so, eh, I know. Just, I mean, that, that's where it's like people like you, Tara, um, are out there for all of us to say, all right, let's let's bounce this off people. Mm-hmm. Whatever idea you have, there is a community out there. Uh, reach out to them. I mean, I think the other thing about the local food world or the organic world, whatever. I mean, there's there just seems to be a lot of people that are open to the conversation of telling you what they did right or wrong. Uh, you know, making suggestions, and I would suggest also like. Try to take that the ego that's inside you that makes you want to be an entrepreneur. Try to tamp that down a little bit, <laughs> in the sense of of like really listen to these people. You know, the ones that have been there and done it. Try to really listen to them. I mean, I know that you're super excited about your idea, and you are the first person to come up with this idea. I know you're that person because I was that person. Mm-hmm. But it turns out you're, we're all the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference being, like, some have already been through it, you know, and you can avoid a lot of a lot of pitfalls if if you if you take your ego and put it down a little couple notches. Right. So Rufus, this has been fantastic. I can't wait to see what happens this year. Um, I got to come out to your farm. My favorite time is after mud season. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it'll be kind of April and, and we should have another, we should do another one, I think after another year to see how you've evolved and we can talk more about the status of your farm now because it too has been evolving and, and that will be yeah. really interesting. So I, I would love to, we just, uh, we're just finishing our fourth greenhouse. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we just started last fall. Um, we just started constructing these little mini hoop houses. Oh, yeah. Um, I really think in the next five years here, I'm going to have several several acres under greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really working on developing my compost system, mm-hmm. eating my soils. I mean, there, there's just like a few things. Like last fall, um, you know, and it kind of correlated with... <laughs> coming into a new relationship with 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 somebody who I really love um, you know just doing a couple of these things that I spent a lot of time reading about mm. 
finally doing them and and seeing the results and saying, "Geez, this is this is not only fun, but it works." And you know, so and it's just sort of been like steamrolling, building. You know, like I, I'm building these greenhouses, and I feel more confident in the building of them. Uh, you know, all these different things. It's sure. Like, yeah, come on out. I'd love. I to. would love to come out. So after mud season, I'm out. And right. hey, thank you for for being so open and sharing the uh, the ups and downs of this. And um, yeah, my, my pleasure. Yeah, it's and really an honor to share it. I mean, it really is. Yeah, I, it's a I gift really to, to everybody. I really, I think as we move forward to that's the other side of it is really talking. I, I feel like talking about failure is something we don't do enough of. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's almost it's like a really big part of business. It is a huge part of business, and I'm so glad you're willing to share your story because I know it will inspire lots and lots of people. Yeah, I hope so. And if anybody has any questions, I'm always you know, kuwaitandfarms.com, rufusaki at gmail.com. I'm happy to do the best I can to to answer anybody's questions or you know whatever, lend any advice I have. Whether Perfect. It's whether it has value or not, you know, I, whatever, I'm here. <laughs> Terrific. Well, you have a good night watching the road freeze, probably. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will. Okay. And, and we will talk again soon. Hang out with my kids. And... Sounds beautiful to me. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Tara. We'll yep. talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.